0: The three stages of keeping Sabbath, a full day of uninterrupted practice, is tied to the natural cycle of the sun setting, rising, and setting again. In his recent book, Stop, Look, Listen, Nehemia Polin invites readers to move beyond a mere cessation of technology and business to explore and embrace the beautiful sacred gift of the Sabbath, Shavos. Tune as we speak with Nehemiah Polan about his newly released book, Stop, Look, Listen celebrating Shabbos through a spiritual lens. You're listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Nehemia Polin is professor of Jewish thought at Hebrew College in Newton, Massachusetts. He received his Talmudic education at Nair Israel Rabbinical College, earned a degree in mathematics at John Hopkins University with honors, and wrote his doctoral dissertation at Boston University under the direction of Elie Wiesel. Dr. Poland teaches and publishes on Tanakh, especially Vayikra, Leviticus, as well as early rabbinic literature. His other works include The Holy Fire and The Rebbe's Daughter, which won a National Jewish Book Award. Together with his wife, Lori, he lives in the Boston area and has often been invited to teach in Jerusalem. Nehemia, welcome to New Books in Jewish Studies. Thank you so much. So would you give our listeners a little insight into your life, your family, and work?
1: I was born in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, grew up in Boston, went to school in Baltimore um, i It might be of interest to say that I went to a traditional yeshiva, a Talmudic academy that has its roots back in uh, Lithuania and Eastern Europe, um, and the focus there was um, entirely Talmudic studies, I would say almost entirely um and that worked for me for quite a while after uh, i would say after about 11 years i um i spent 11 years in baltimore um i went to uh, johns hopkins in the evening uh got a degree in mathematics and um eventually i wanted to um um i don't want to say break out but sort of expand my horizons um went to an alternative jewish uh seminary called chabarat shalom in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the focus was on Hasidism and uh, what some call Neo-Hasidism, new ways of looking at the Jewish mystical tradition that really opened up uh, horizons very much within the tradition, but expanding the palace uh, with a tremendous amount of uh, vitality and new ideas. Um, And got a PhD in Hasidism at Boston uh, University when Eli Wiesel uh, came there and uh, worked with him, and that was a great honor. Uh, I wrote about the Piasetz Rebbe, this Hasidic master, Revconomist uh, Shapiro, um, who was one of the great Hasidic voices during the Holocaust in the Warsaw Ghetto and lifted up that voice um, in the English language um, now I teach at a school called Hebrew College, um, which trains rabbis. And, um, you know, we all tend to migrate. It's, uh, it's one of the, I don't know if it's a secret of the academic life, but it seems to be a point The fact that many of us kind of graze and migrate. While I still am deeply focused on Hasidism, that is to say on, on, the, on the Jewish mystical uh, tradition, um, but a lot of my teaching right now is in the Hebrew Bible, especially the book of, uh, Leviticus, which is a book that some people tend to shy away from because they see it as being such so highly ritualized and really arcane, archaic out of date. And my work is to try to sort of, re- again, open it up and show it's powerful resonance for our contemporary world. Um, And um, I do have a family. I'm blessed with uh, a wife, three children, uh, sons-in-law, grandchildren. um, Spend a lot of time in the Holy Land um, in Jerusalem.
0: So just curious, did you ever meet the Rebbe, Rabbi Schneerson?
1: Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, He was transformative. Um, You know, there's a lot of controversy about his personality um, because some claimed that he was the Messiah, some claimed even that he didn't die. And, you know, the sort of the extreme voices really drowned out, I would say, the more mainstream voice. Look, the the fact of the matter is that he has, uh, uh, um, in his lifetime, he energized arguably the most powerful outreach movement in Judaism in the last 2,000 years. That's just extraordinary. Um I did meet him. And yes, he, uh, uh, um, in a very naturalistic way, this is to say, um, even if we bracket out (laughs) miracle stories and stories about paranormal powers, um, stories uh, 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 um, about his charismatic vision and and all of those kinds of stories that um, hover, that typically hover around very, very charismatic people, uh, just in a naturalistic way, he was one of the most powerful intellects that I've ever met, met and um, his presence was a great blessing. Um, Michael, you, uh, um, I, I hadn't expected to talk about this, but I do have to say that uh, you asked me about my family background. One of the um, uh, overarching uh, narratives in my family life growing up was that I had a very sick brother. <laughs> I had um, a brother named Ezra. Um, As you know, I'm Nehemiah or Nehemiah, and um, as you know from the books of those names, they worked together at the beginning of the Second Temple period. So I was Nehemiah, I had a younger brother, Ezra. He had cystic fibrosis, and uh, as you may know, that's a very, very serious congenital chronic condition. Um, My parents were just at the beginning of searching for medical remedies. We were fortunate to be in the city of Boston, Children's Hospital. There was a Dr. Harry Schwachman, um, who was a pioneer. Um, but at some point, Ezra was going into the hospital, and we knew that we needed more. My parents heard about the Lubavitchi Rebbe. We went to the Rebbe. We went to, the, uh, to, to Rabbi Schneerson. And um, if you're interested in paranormal stories, I'm not signing off on this, but my parents believe that the blessing that they received from him kept him out of the hospital for 12 years. Uh, which was really quite extraordinary for a CF patient. And uh, he did pass away. He died at age 35, which even now uh, he died uh, uh, 30 years ago. But um, uh, then it was really quite extraordinary. But bracketing out any paranormal powers, I will say this, that when we were in his presence and we got in finally at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, we we had uh, a window of maybe 45 minutes and he was so totally present. You never felt more totally present with any person than we felt with the Rebbe. And the other thing that I'll say what he did for my parents, um, and then I'll stop that thread, is to say that, you know, when you have a young child who's very ill, you understand that you go through a lot of agony, a lot of anguish and a lot of disappointment, a lot of expectation. And, Rabbi Schneerson gave my parents two things that were in very short supply at that time. One was dignity, and the other one was hope. And for that, I'm eternally grateful.
0: Thank you for sharing that story, Nehemiah.: As we turn to your book, why don't we begin now the way your book begins? With a parable about the Sabbath by Rabbi Jacob Kranz, who lived in the late 18th century.
1: Yes, absolutely. thank you so much. He was known as the Dubner Magad, that is to say, the preacher of this town called dubno um and so it it's a, a um it's a lovely parable. it's a lovely story uh, i can i I can see in my mind's eye um a poor man uh with a with a heavy satchel, a heavy duffel bag trudging down the road, and you know back in those days, maybe even now in some places. There were no paved roads, so the roads were frozen over in the winter time, and in the summertime they were just filled with mud. So it was very, very difficult to just get get down the road. Um, this man is trudging along, bent over with the weight of his duffel bag, and suddenly a carriage with horses, you know, pulling pulling the carriage easily comes comes across. And usually the carriage would just speed by even today, you know, you have to be careful sometimes in the rain, not to be splashed by, by the wheels of a car uh, speeding by, but in those days you'd be splashed by the mud. Um, In any event, uh, very unusually, very exceptionally the carriage stops and there's this wonderfully dressed, uh, nobleman, dignified individual, what we would call, you know, a wealthy man, a billionaire, perhaps in our terminology, and says, uh, would you like a ride? And the poor man wasn't expecting this at all. And he said, I I can't believe this. This is so kind of you, so gracious, so compassionate. And he accepts the ride and comes into the, and comes into the carriage. Um, The wealthy man continues with his work perhaps he's going through papers he's looking through some articles or something and then he looks up and he sees that the wealthy that the poor man is still totally bent over with his backpack with his satchel on his back and he said you know i had thought that um we have a driver he would have been so eager to help you and to take your heavy backpack and to put it uh, in 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 the baggage in the hold and 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 lash it and you wouldn't have to carry that on your back and the poor man said i was so overwhelmed by your kindness that i didn't have the nerve i didn't have the audacity to ask you to carry my backpack as well and the wealthy man Laughed and said, "Yeah, but don't you realize that that when I picked you up, uh, I picked your backpack up as well, and, and I'm carrying both anyway." So the Dubner Magid said, "You know, this is this is this is Shabbos. This is the seventh day. God gives everyone um, not just the opportunity for rest, but for really unburdening ourselves. And very often, what happens is that." We take the first and not the second. That is to say, we do do the stopping, but we don't really unburden ourselves. And we don't trust God enough. He says, this is a trust practice. It's a practice where you let go of the baggage. And every human being on this world, in this world, on this earth, is carrying baggage. We all do. And the beautiful power of Shabbos, its trust nature, is that we trust God enough to carry our baggage. Just as God stops for us, God will lift up our baggage as well.
0: The title of your book, Stop, Look, Listen, incorporates what you refer to as the three modalities of Shabbos. Would you explain these?
1: Yes. Um, What I wanted to convey was that the the holiness of the seventh day goes beyond um, isolated moments of celebration. Um, that's important too. Um, let's say to go to a to go to a service, which is wonderful. Um, the Shabbos that I grew up in, the culture that I was fortunate enough to have been raised in, was that. It's more than just individual moments of prayer, of worship, of study, of celebration, but it's a completely uninterrupted immersive experience that goes throughout 24, really 25 hours. So, it, it, you know, it's really the difference between saying, um, well, I'll go in a meditation session, but of course, I have to check my emails. I mean, that you know, if I'm checking my emails every two minutes, then I, am I really meditating. So it, it, in a similar way, there's an arc of the of the Sabbath, which in the rabbinic tradition begins Friday evening at sunset. And then there's sunset, sunrise, and the next sunset, and you're not done until until nightfall, until the stars come out Saturday night, and that totally immersive, enveloping arc is what uh, is what makes the Shabbos into um, re- really an Edenic space, a transformative space, um, an electrifying space where you go on a retreat. But it could be in the urban setting. That is to say. Every Shabbos is a destination event, but you don't have a you don't have to hop on a on on an airplane to Hawaii, uh, <laughs> burning a lot of carbon, perhaps um, you can do it wherever you are as long as you have that arc of sunrise sunset sunrise, sunset. so Friday night is stop, which is to say, um, that highlights. Something that, again, in the Jewish tradition, I'm speaking, I'm speaking to the Jewish tradition, and um, within that tradition, my family was on the traditional side of things. Um, so uh, the book that I have written um, is, is, is from a uh, traditional perspective, and it's based on my experience. The main feature is coming to a stop. And that means in a very physical way, that is to say, you find a place and you stay in that place and the circumference of your place is defined by your feet, by as far as you can walk. And uh, uh, um, there's a congenial community of other people who have made the same decision. And that is the radius and that defines the circumference of your of your Sabbath uh, uh, community. And so you stop. That—that That is the feature that is often forgotten. Um, when people talk about the traditional Jewish Sabbath, they might talk about raising the cup of wine or breaking the traditional braided bread that is called l'chala. Those are all wonderful things, and we do all of that, to be sure. And that's also very important. And the celebration and the prayer and the study and the Torah reading, all that. Um, it's built on a foundation of settling into one place. And the argument that I make is that it's based on the Bible itself. Um, we, uh, when Again, when people introduce the biblical Sabbath, they will go immediately to the Decalogue, to the Ten Commandments, um, and uh, Exodus 19, Exodus 20. And once again, they're not wrong. That's certainly true. Uh, the Sabbath is the centerpiece of the Decalogue. But it's often forgotten that the, the Sabbath is introduced well before that as the children of Israel leave Egypt, and they run out of food, um, and they cry for food, uh, and, and and Moses turns to God, and they get the manna. If you look at the manna passage carefully— uh, as I try to do in in the book, it turns out that it's more about introducing this rhythm of the of the uh, of the Sabbath than it is about providing food. Because what happens is that the manna doesn't fall on the seventh day, and on the conversely, there's a double portion on the sixth day. The people sort of stumble into this, they learn this, and they're puzzled by the whole thing. Um, normally on on the weekdays they're not supposed to um, store it for the next day because the manna was, once again, a trust practice. But uh, on the sixth day, um, they get a double portion, and the double portion remains for the seventh day. So the Sabbath is about preparing for for day number six, uh, preparing on day number six, what we call Friday, for the seventh day, what we call the Sabbath day, and this is an explicit um, statement in the biblical verse. It says, uh, I'm going to quote the Hebrew. I'll translate. No, don't leave your place on the seventh day. Stay in place on the seventh day. But my claim is that if you do those two things, if you prepare on the sixth day for the seventh day and you commit to one place, then you have the biblical Sabbath. Then, then you have it. So that's stop. And in our day, of course, well, I don't want to say of course, but layered on that sort of physicality, and I, I mean the embodiment of being in one place, is also being in one place with regard to the distractions of technology. Because what technology does, as we know, And it's wonderful. It's great. We're using it right now. I'm not knocking it. I do have a smartphone. I do have a computer. We're not knocking any of that. But we also know that there is a dark side. We're learning so much more about the dark side and the downside of technology. The wonder of the Sabbath is, again, as I learned it in my home, and I try to um, manifest it for my own family, for my children, for our community, is that all technological devices that are meant to defeat spatial distance are, are powered off, are powered off and are set aside entirely. So you're physically in one space. you're mentally in one space, you're spiritually in one place, and that means you don't engage in, uh, you, go, you don't engage in commerce. Back in the day, it meant not going to the mall uh nowadays the way we go to the mall is by going online and um we we all know about i don't even want to say the name but it's the sec we all know what i'm talking about the second largest river in the world that's now probably the biggest you know uh uh, marketplace in the world uh begins with an a um we don't do that we don't do that it's so liberating it's so profound Uh, And the best part of it is, is that you don't have to decouple from the modern world entirely, because you know what, that marketplace will be there Saturday and night, it'll be there on Sunday, it'll be there for you, it'll be there on Monday, let me put it that way, it'll be there on Monday, your day of rest, it'll be there on Monday, it'll be there for the five days of the week, everything is going to be there, that's part of the trust practice. You know, they keep on sending you these pings about you need to buy it now because if there's only 24 hours or in the next 60 minutes, you need to buy this item. And it's on sale now that that manufactured urgency. We say, okay, you know what? I'm going to miss that sale. I'm going to miss that sale. The Bible tells me that whatever I think I'm going to get, whatever benefit I think I'm going to get by doing those clicks, it's all going to be there. Nothing will be lost. So that's all part of the stop. Now, <laughs> that was all stop. You probably want to stop me now. But then, you know, there's so much more. There is a prayer service. There is the the family coming together um, at, at a sacred table. Uh, at some point, we, we might want to talk about, one of the things that is most meaningful for my family, which is the Zimmy that is to say the table songs, the sacred table melodies, but that comes to an end. You go to sleep, you wake up refreshed, and you you bathe your eyes with the light of dawn in a new way. That's the idea of revelation. that revelation is about, uh, biblically, uh michael i know you know this very very well because you wrote a book on it um, about the horror of the sinai experience but in, in more broadly revelation can take place anywhere and everywhere as long as you open your eyes to wonder and especially when you've really come to a complete stop the night before and you've had that evening of rest and sleep your eyes are then opened in a completely new way you see the world Uh, uh, through the eyes of blessing, you see other people in the eyes of blessing, you see new possibilities. So that's look much more to say about that. And then you're still in the space. Remember you're uninterrupted, right? It's not about sort of punctuating an average day with a few extra pieces of celebration. Um, It's, it's about total, immersion without any uh without any break without any interruption so you come to the late afternoon and the sun sets but whereas 24 hours earlier the sun setting was calling the was calling the week to the week the busy weekday to an end so you really had to sort of step on the brakes now you're already within this spirit of, of contentment and joy and satisfaction and awareness and having come to know your friends and your family more deeply because there's no place else to go right there's no reaching for your phone there's no reaching for an update there's no, there's none of that you're totally with each other you're totally for each other in a completely different way you've been doing this for 24 hours and now the sun is beginning to set again and so as, as, as the natural light recedes, and of course, until 100 years ago, there was no power grid, there was no uh, artificial lighting, there was no incandescence, there was no, you know, now LEDs, doesn't matter. Um, so so, so the, the daylight gradually fades. And what happens is, as the visual sense becomes less significant, the auditory sense becomes more amplified and becomes more sensitive. So that's the time of listen, when you really begin to listen more deeply. In the tradition, this is the time when we share um, illuminated wisdom, where uh, where we're open to channeling um, on the basis of Scripture and the basis of Holy Texts, sacred ideas. And so we listen to each other. Um, and again, there's more melodies, there's more uh, what we call ni-gud-nim, ni-gud-nim, sacred, sacred tunes, and we hear them in an even deeper, richer way. And then it all com- culminates at nightfall. Um, so that's, that's the arc of stop, look, listen. And it is transformative.
0: While well, the goal of observing Shabbos is spiritual, including a delight in God, you write beautifully about how the Sabbath also forms a remedy to the dehumanizing and presence-destroying tendencies of modern culture, culture that is so dependent upon and distracted by technology. Would you share some of your profound insights on that dynamic?
1: Sure. In addition to the fact that um, the, the tech boom you know, Silicon Valley, all of that, uh, is really uh, uh, um, is really a terrible um, intimacy inhibitor. Th- that is to say, it it really takes us away from intimacy. I mean, it claimed connection; it claimed to enhance connection, and in a certain way, yes, it does. But uh, there's a there's definitely a corrosive side to that as well. And a- as we've discovered, it's 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 easy to lapse into meanness of spirit and to contentiousness and to really sometimes getting into terrible vilification in a way that we that that you would be highly unlikely to do if you were with the other person uh, in in person in in the flesh because you see the other person as a living human being like yourself and even if you don't like their ideas but you see their humanity you share some level of empathy um, and that is drained usually by the um, by the veil of technology and by the artifice of um, uh, 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 um, of anonymity um, that these platforms provide for us. So there's this uh, polarization that we've seen. We all know about this. And once again, just sort of like uh, sometimes the worst character assassination that we would not engage in in person. And Shabbos is really um, this is often missed. We we call it a day of rest and it, it is a day of rest. I don't want to minimize that. Rest is important. But I would say much more significantly, it's a day of holiness. It's a day of nobility. It's a day of, again, bathing your eyes in, in, in wonder and seeing peaceful and blessed possibilities for the world as a whole and for other people, which means that it's impossible. It's impossible to speak ill of another person, even if we disagree with them. So um, Shabbat and Shalom, that is to say, the, the blessed seventh day, and the biblical shalom, which is peace in, in the deepest way, really go hand in hand. They're actually two near synonyms for the very same concept. Um, so we would do well to bring the blessings uh, 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 of Shabbos to, to the world that needs it. And once again, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to give up all of the contemporary uh, um advances, because even if you just do it one day a week, it changes the other six days as well. It elevates the six days as well as the seventh day. Shavos is
0: rooted in Scripture. Review with us some of the major texts and teaching on the significance of the Sabbath in the Bible.
1: Yeah, well, um, so as you know, the seven-day the seven rhythm is really um, the only calendrical rhythm, which is not astronomically based. It is to say, um, many sacred calendars focus on on day. Uh, in Judaism, we say prayers three times a day. Uh, I believe Islam has a five uh, five time a day cycle. Um, In in uh, um um in monastic orders, and I don't know much about this, but I believe there is the office of the hours. I mean, all that is important. It's based on it's based on the solar rhythm, which is very central. Then you have lunar cycles every month. Um, We do have a festival called Rosh Chodesh, new moon festival. Um, Then you have annual. Uh, uh, cycles. And of course, you have the seasons. Um, There are festivals that mark the seasons, but these are all very important. The only cycle that is not astronomically based is the seven-day cycle that begins at the end of Genesis 1, beginning of Genesis 2. So the way I see it is that this is a sacred cycle specifically not grounded in the natural world that goes above the, the natural world as if to say that while the natural world has its own blessing and is sacred in its own way and is God's creation and we have to honor it and and be proper stewards of it that's all true but there's something that even goes beyond nature and that's the seven-day cycle so um, the way I see it is I, I, I actually sometimes do this as a demonstration um, when doing a seminar, I ask people to get up and to hold hands and to do a very, very simple dance, and to say to move six um, six steps in one direction and then and then rest, but rest as a as a musical rest. So I, I say here's how here's how we do it. God, so to speak, it tells all of creation to get up and whole hands, human beings for sure, but all the sea creatures and all the land animals and even the amoeba and everybody. I want everybody, 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 get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. And are you ready? Okay. It's a very, very simple dance move. One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. One, two, three, four, five, six, rest. And then God says, so to speak, you get the rhythm. Okay. I'm going to go off stage. I'll continue watching. I would love it so much if you continue that rhythm. But that's that's the end of Genesis one. That's what God is. That that's what God is telling us. So continuing that rhythm is really uh, manifesting the divine, the divine voice. And what that and what that little sort of anecdote does, uh, the little fable, really does, or, uh, metaphor, however you want to put it, does is that it reminds me that the rest is rest is not out of weariness or tiredness it's a musical rest when there's a musical rest on your score the violinist doesn't take the bow off the string because their muscles are tired they take the bow off the string because the the that 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 sonic envelope needs that moment of silence in order for the music to be heard better and in order for for the entire symphony to come to its full conclusion that's the rest of sabbath it's not primarily about weariness so that i can go back to work refreshed there is a bit of that but primarily it's about hearing the music of creation that god has instilled in us and in it at the very beginning.
0: You also turn to Hasidism to glean insights on the meaning and celebration of the Sabbath. Tell us about this.
1: Yes. Um, well, Hasidism begins with this luminous teacher we call the Baal Shem Tov, the master of the good name. His name was Israel ben Eliezer. Um, he was born around, some say, 1698 or 1700, thereabouts, but he died in 1760. Uh, um, his Yortzeit, say, the anniversary of his death, is coming up uh, very shortly, in about a week. Um, and he taught many things, but one of the powerful teachings is uh, the spirituality of presence. That is to say, it's a... Um, it's a meditation of mindfulness that can be activated not only in quiet sitting that that's certainly a part of it. you know you know nowadays sort of quiet seated meditation is, is very popular and and that's important uh, um, it is a practice that is uh, that is very worthy but um, the Hasidic practice is you can meditate in movement. You can meditate in conversation. You can meditate in weekday activities. Uh, quoting, quoting the book of Proverbs, I believe it's uh, Proverbs chapter 3, da'eyu Know God in all your ways, and God will make your path straight. It's extremely powerful. Know God in all your ways. And the Baal Shem Tov says what that means is when you bring mindfulness that everything I do, everything I say, every move I make, every muscle that I might lift up is with the divine energy. And I try to bring the best intention to that, then I align action and intention. The alignment of action and intention creates a fusion Right, F-U-S-I-O-N, like a nuclear fusion that, that that releases enormous spiritual energy. This is one of the key teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. It's easy to say it's very hard to implement. You know, it's much easier to say, let me do a particular ritual practice. Because you learn the practice and you've done it, and you think you've fulfilled your obligation. This is a mindfulness practice that is... Um, called for every moment of existence, right? So it, 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 it's simple to say, it's very challenging to implement. Um, but but uh, that's what it's all about. It's about mindfulness and awareness, not only in 20 minutes of seated meditation, that can be very, very significant, but in every instant of, of life. And the day that enables me most to realize that ideal uh, fusion of action and intention um, of, of, of body and spirit of all the levels of my being is the sacred seventh day, is the Shabbos, because that's the day that's been set aside for this kind of practice. Again, for for, uh, for contentment, for awareness, for settling into one place, to realize that I won't miss out on anything if I just stay where I am with the people who I've chosen to be with, with the sacredness that I want to uh, immerse myself in. And the world and my and my own self will only be the better for it. But that, that's the core of Hasidism. And it, it, while you can do this during the six days of the week, um, the most congenial opportunity for it is on the sacred seventh day.
0: Well, with this book on Shavos completed, what is on the horizon for you in terms of teaching or writing projects?
1: Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm now working on a book on blessing, um, on, on, the, um, on the theme, on the topic, on the rubric of blessing. You know, the, the, the Hebrew word barech, bet, bet resh, kaf, um, that root in, in its various grammatical forms appears over 400 times in the Hebrew Bible. Um, it's already uh, actually uh, more than any other book in the book of Genesis, because the, the, the book of Genesis is all about blessing and they're struggling about blessing, as we know, with the children and so on. But eventually things kind of work out. Um, and, um, Michael, you've mentioned that you that you're writing a commentary on, on the book of Numbers, which I really am eager to see. But, you know, about the priestly blessing in, in Numbers chapter six. Um, but the, the, the thread of blessing goes throughout the Hebrew Bible. When we get to the rabbinic tradition, which, of course, is the one that I'm familiar with in the Jewish heritage, the the Mishnah, the Talmud, um, it's largely about blessings. Um, When the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in the year 70, there was this transition to the synagogue, and the rabbis structured the liturgy around the theme of blessing. Around Baruch. So why did they do that? What does it mean to bless God? I thought God has everything. You know, God has had Amazon Prime since the beginning of creation. God, God has the biggest warehouse in the universe. God doesn't need my blessing. Why am I blessing God? Now, these are the kinds of questions that I hear. I mean, I, of course, I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but um, that's what I try to set out to explore. What does it mean to bless God? Um, um, in in, in, in the standard, what we call the Sidur, which is uh, the Jewish uh, prayer book. Um, then you have blessing in the Jewish mystical tradition, in the Zohar, this, uh, this great anthology of Jewish mysticism uh, that um, emerged in Spain in, in, in the 13th uh, uh, century. Um, it's largely about blessing as, as channeling heavenly overflow, now, what does that mean? What, is the, what are the implications of that? Then you have blessing in Hasidism, where one of the main, I would say, uh, uh, offices of the Hasidic master is, is to bestow blessing. If you are a Hasid, you believe that blessing is truly efficacious. Um, so, um, and there are many stories about the power and the efficacy of a Hasidic blessing. Um, but peers bless each other as well. Um, I have to say that that's part of my practice. It is to say, I'm certainly no master of anything. Um, but, but, but based on the sacred text, there's this belief that when you say words of blessing to your friend, to your, even somebody you just meet on the street for the first time, good morning is a blessing. Right? Hello is a blessing. Um, uh, good morning means may you have a good morning. Um, that is efficacious. You know what is that all about? Um, on the other hand, what are the what are the challenges? What are the limitations? What are the uh, 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 um, uh, things that that don't allow us to bless? Part of it is the corrosive cynicism that we see often in society, amplified by the social media. You know, why don't I say good morning sometimes to somebody walking down the street? because both they and I are looking at our screens (laughs) at our little at our little three by five screens. And so we don't want to meet the other person's eye. So, you know, there are all these drawbacks. There are all these barriers to blessing, how to get beyond that, how to get back to the idea that you can bless another person in a very casual way, but still a very meaningful way. Um, So um, this idea of blessing, I think, is constitutive of Judaism as a whole. Of course, going back to the great Abrahamic promise in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Be a blessing. Through you will be blessed all the peoples of the world, of the earth. That's the Abrahamic promise. How do we manifest? How do we implement? How do we express that in our contemporary world? So... That's the overarching rubric of, the, of the, uh, uh, um, uh, the theme of the next book, God willing. Bless me that I should be able to implement it.
0: <laughs> Nehemia, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been a delight getting to know you and to hear more about your work on the Sabbath day. All the best to you.
1: Thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate it. Every blessing to you and to all the listeners.
0: Friends, you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.